They buried me in the water and I came, I knew. Ha <laughs> ha! Now I'm baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. I'm a never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got gritty. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. to the Changing the Culture podcast with your host, me, Autumn Clifford. As always, I'm very excited to have you here. If you loved that music, go to the end of the podcast, check out the whole song. I love hip hop. I love first responders. So mixing it together is obviously one of the things that I'm passionate about. I'm really excited to bring you today's show. But before I do, I want to invite you uh, to come and hang out with me in the Culture Shock Challenge. I am Uh, teaching you, I'm leading and guiding you on 14-day challenge on how you can uh, ditch burnout to be the most resilient person that you know, and to honestly really shock our culture, change the culture that we have for first responders. Uh, This is designed specifically for you. It's all, all backed by science. There's a link in the bio. It's free to join. Come and hang out with us. Let's go. You want to feel better? You want to lose some weight? You want to be able to think better? You want to be able to sleep better? This is for you. I made it just for you. All right, fam. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. This week's interview, uh, Dr. Jason Piccolo. Jason, what's up? Uh, what's up with you? Hey, I love coming on these shows. I love doing shows. So uh, it's great <laughs> to be on here. It's great to actually see an audience. I'm looking at uh, one, two, three, four, five, six people. Yeah, I we like have a cool it. audience. Yeah, yeah. first responder audience. And, oh, there's a baby too. So that's seven. I love it. She is our star. She definitely is. She was just born. So she's our star of the mastermind for sure. <laughs> no, this is a great format. And I really, I really appreciate you having me on. You know me, I could, I could talk forever about pretty much anything. Well, we love um, that. I'm trying to think if there's something I can't talk about. Nah, I can talk about anything. So whatever anything. you guys want to hear, whatever you want to talk about. Um, yeah. So Jason, tell us a little bit about you. I've Who is this, Dr. Jason Piccolo? You know, I've got this down to 45 seconds. So someone hit it. 1990s, I was an enlisted guy in the U.S. Army artillery. I um, got out, went to college in Minnesota, got a degree in uh, law enforcement, also commissioned as an infantry officer. But instead of going back active duty in 2000, I became a U.S. Border Patrol agent. Then became a U.S. Customs Special Agent back in the day. This is pre-9-11. And I worked narco trafficking for a long time on, as part of a high-intensity drug trafficking area group down in San Diego. Did that for a bit. I was uh, involuntarily recalled for Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2005. Uh, subsequently deployed for about 18 months, including a tour in Iraq. Got back, uh, went to work for a DOD task force, uh, working on the Al-Qaeda investigations for about seven months. Then I went to work for another DOD entity for a couple of years. Then I went to work for ICE for a few years, did that. And now I work for another agency, I'm just about going on 21 years. But in between, I wrote a couple of books, uh, got some education, got a master's in forensic science, doctorate in strategic security, and I got two incredible kids. And um, yeah, I love, and I host the Protectors podcast, which I love, absolutely love doing. Ah, man. It might be a little bit more than 45 seconds, but yeah. You've done some, I'd say you've done some shit, huh? Yeah, you know, it's just been fun. It's been a good, good career so far. I have two years and 24 days left. So uh, 
Who's once counting? I hit that, <laughs> once I hit that big age of five zero, I will be retiring. And what are you going to do? Seeing, I'm going to probably do podcasting, hosting. Yeah. I just started doing a lot. Of, I've been doing court TV every week for the past like uh, thirteen weeks, so I want to do something like that uh, where I could host my own show via, you know, you know, kind so, of like widespread. Absolutely. What do you do on court TV? Uh, law enforcement analysts. So what they do is they have a crime time segment at night, uh, pretty much every night, Monday through Friday at 935. They have the crime time segment, which what we do is we look at four scenarios. I shouldn't really say scenario Four clips of something happened in the news. So officer involved shooting um, a lot of like porch pirates the past couple episodes just because of the holidays. Um, it could be anything use of force and then what we do is me and they'll have another law enforcement guy on our girl and uh, we talk about it and they run that five days a week and I do it probably once a week wow I feel anybody else feel a little starstruck no. I'm like starstruck <laughs> now you're on tv that's freaking awesome so what like where do we go like what channel do we youtube uh, yeah well court tv is on um i think almost all the major cable networks have it now and then um what do you call it it's online you can go to court tv.com okay and i like how you say that i'm like i'm just a tattooed ex-army <laughs> guy so i mean <clears throat> i love it how did you get into that how'd you got on court tv um well you know there is one aspect of my career I, I talk about it periodically i haven't talked about it a lot lately but I was a whistleblower at one time <laughs> under the uh, the previous administration for uh, for some stuff, shady stuff they did, the Obama administration did. And it's not really political. It's just that they uh, I used to work for the White House Security Council's uh, human smuggling cell. So what we were charged with was, you know, stopping all the the smuggling of little kids and stuff coming across the border. And I blew the whistle on some stuff that happened, including releasing a you know, thousands of these little kids to criminals. And somehow um, when all the stuff with the kids in cages came out, uh, I just, I didn't want to stand back anymore. So I came out into the public eye and I started talking about the reality of the Southwest border and about all sorts of stuff like that. And that brought me up. I used to do a lot of mainstream media like Fox, OEM, a bunch of other stuff like that. But I kind of got out of that stuff and I started really getting into you know, really what my bread and butter of my existence is, is just, what do I know? And that's like, you know, why don't I use some of the experiences I've had mm -hmm. and talk about stuff? You know, I, I got kind of tired. I don't want to be a political soundbite. So I stopped doing all those shows. I could have gone on and on and on, but I don't want to be the raving guy on online. that gets like two minutes and they use like 30 second soundbite. So you I know, do the core TV stuff. That gives me 25, 30 minutes to talk. It's it, okay. So we gotta go back because I'm like again <laughs> starstruck again here. No, but it's just amazing. Like the shit that you've done is and seen. I bet is just it's amazing. It's awful, right? It's awful and it's amazing. But um, you know, one thing I would like to go back and I'd like to just chat with you about. So when all of this stuff came out, right? Because mm -hmm. like wh what's it called? Like Golden Gate or what's it called? Like this whole, I don't know, like when COVID happened and then all, everybody said that COVID happened because they're covering up like children, like. Oh, Spike, uh, not Spygate, Scandal, something gate. It was yeah, um, with the, the trafficking. Yeah. So were you like, yeah, I already knew this was going on or like what? Well, you know, the trafficking thing is huge. And that that's actually what my next book is going to be about is uh, domestic trafficking. Because most of my career, uh, 
previous to everything that happened was all about smuggling and trafficking and drugs and dope coming across the border. And I really want to take a look now at domestic trafficking. Mm. And there is so much of it going on. I did a bunch of YouTube videos on it that got a lot of some decent hits on there. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot going on. I don't get into the conspiracy theories because, you know, if you've been in, and if anybody's been in law enforcement for more than a day, they know that, <clears throat> excuse me, the lowest common denominator is usually the ones that get arrested. So uh, mm-hmm. the vast conspiracies kind of drive me a little nuts. While there is a lot of evil going on at the upper echelons, I don't think we know about as much of it that's going on. And I don't think there's some vast government conspiracy that's hiding it because I don't think the government can hide shit like that. I mean, there's always going to be whistleblowers. There's always going to be people out there that are going to talk about it. Are they complicit and not going after some of these high profile cases? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, but are they actually directly involved? I, I doubt it. But is yeah. this shit happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you got people with billions of dollars in their pockets, uh, up most of, you know, there's only so much power they can have. And you know that in the law enforcement realm, people always take that power and they want to, um, sometimes they look at it for um, illegal and illicit means, but a lot of it's for their own personal mm-hmm. uh, fulfillment. If, am I making sense? Like, you know, pe- when you have people who have like, okay, I want a Lamborghini. That's not enough. Okay. I want three girlfriends. That's not enough. Okay. I want to abuse a child. That's not enough. What more are they going to do? You know, because I, you know, just because we have technology and phones and everything, I always say this to people, I'm like, just because we have technology and everything's like really gone forward in the past hundred years from, you know, reading a newspaper a day to now having everything at your fingertips doesn't mean we're any smarter of a society or that evil that existed a hundred years ago. It's not the same evil that exists now. I mean, anybody in the field, whether or not you're a first responder, emergency responder, anybody that's out there in that community, you actually understand that it's out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. I, you know me, I could talk forever. And plus, I had a cup of coffee. So uh, that, that, that's okay. I like it. I like it. Uh, Devin said it's Pizzagate. It was P. Yeah, you were right. Yeah, yeah. Pizzagate. You know, so let's go back. What branch from the military were you in? I was in the Army. Yeah. I was in the U.S. Army. And how did I get into that? That's yeah. one of the questions there. So I um, I tell you what, I was not the, I, I should really bring this up a lot more, but I was a really shit student. <laughs> I barely made it out of uh, high school, um, moved out of my house when I was uh, 16 or 17. Well, 16 and 17. It was kind of, first time was uh, not in my own control. Second time was in my control. Uh, barely got out of high school, went to community college, failed out of community college, uh, always wanted to be a soldier. So I finally said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I went in the army, uh, did my time, got out and, uh, you know, it kind of kicked my ass. So, uh, that got me really into education and bettering myself. Mm. So that's why I went to college and that's why I continued to go to college and continue to do everything Mm. because, you know, you have 24 hours in a day or, you know, seven days a week, you could always have time to kind of knock something out. And especially now with online school, I mean, you could do, you know, do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you go and you were in the military and then, mm-hmm. so then you decided to get into law enforcement after that? Yeah. Well, my best friend, when we were both got out of the army, uh, he went into the U S border patrol and, um, 
I was going to go into the border patrol at first, but you know, where they wanted to station me at first was kind of a shithole somewhere in Texas. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to just go to college real quick. So I went to college, knocked that out about two and a half years, um, got my bachelor's and then I joined a border patrol and I ended up at the same station as him <laughs> and, uh, the same everything. And our, the last six months I was there, we were actually on an ATV unit together, which was incredible. That's cool. And that's how I got into it. And um, this is where I got to say, like, you know, you never know how things work out. And my friend actually died in the line of duty two years ago. I'm so sorry. And uh, he was up in North Dakota. But that's the thing, though, is you never know how much time you have and you never know how much legacy you're going to have. Yes. And the biggest thing is, as I look at Devin with the baby, is I have two incredible kids, 10 and 12. Everything I do is for them. Mm. I don't you know, I could talk shit all day long. I could go on, but everything I want a legacy saying, okay, dad did this, dad did that, but he didn't do it because he wanted to make a million dollars. Cause you know, it, it's, you I, know. Hear you. I hear you. So, okay. Well, let's back up. I have a ton of questions. So, <laughs> so border patrol, what was that like? Because first off, where are you from? I'm from New Jersey. Okay. I'm from Maine. So about five hours north of you. So when I think of border patrol, I am scared as fuck. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Like going down on the Mexican border? Hell no. Let me explain the border to you though. Because if you're up in Maine, you you understand this. Route 95 goes from Maine to Miami, right? Yes. That is how long, that's how far and wide and everything our uh, Southwest border is. Wow. So that's, you have roughly nowadays, we have 16,000 agents on the border, on the Southwest border to cover 24, seven, 365 days a year. And that includes the ones that have to do admin functions, the ones that have to do supervisory roles and management roles. So you're essentially a one or two person patrol out there kind of humping around looking for traffic coming across the border. At the time, I think I was, uh, geez, 26 when I first started that. Yeah, 26. So I didn't, you know, I still had a different mentality back then about like dropping into canyons and everything by myself. Um, But it's a good career. I mean, I, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good stepping stone into the federal government. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of different things you do. You know, you could either be sitting and watching the fence rust because, you know, that's your position for the night. They call it sitting on an X. You could be transporting. There's a lot of different things out there. And I never really thought of it as like the most dangerous job I've done, but it's just, it was a really good experience. What kind of things did you do other than patrolling on an ATV? Oh, I was on a mountain unit, did that for a bit. Uh, that means you're just up there and you track out groups that come across the border and you push them up and over the man- mountains over by San Diego. Wow. And uh, I did that for a bit. I did, um, I was a Spanish, uh, what do you call it? Liaison or Mexican liaison, they call it. So I used to, do some stuff with the Mexican police. Cause at one time I could really speak good Spanish, but now it's a uh, no habla. <laughs> yeah. It's like 20 something years later. Um, yeah, I did that for a bit. Um, I loved my next job, which was customs special agent because a lot of people don't realize like back in the day, customs was the shit, uh, before Well, they're still doing a lot of great things, but we used to have a lot more with undercover, um, funding. Mm. Cause it was under the department of treasury. So I was part of an undercover group for a, a bit and uh, that was awesome in San Diego because you, you kind of learned about the underbelly of the, the narco world at the mm. kind of like the macro level compared to like the street hand to hands and stuff like that. So you learn a lot that way. 
And uh, I did that for a while. And uh, that was one a highlight of my career. And now I'm just kind of in uh, you know semi-retirement zone, you know, two years and some change. <laughs> so what was working like narco? Like, can you explain that to me? What did you do? Sure. Every, uh, well, most regions have what they call high intensity drug trafficking area, HIDA group. And so what we were is we were part of a HIDA, HIDA team down in San Diego called Operation Alliance. And what our goal was to disrupt and dismantle major narco smuggling organizations. Uh, and we primarily, you know, the groups out, there was two proactive groups that I was part of. Um, and I was the one that dealt with mostly, um, we're supposed to go after the bigger organizations. We're not supposed to be reactive, meaning, okay, a load of dope comes across the border. We're going to go down there and process it, blah, blah, blah. We were the ones that are supposed to find out, okay, who sent that load across? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to follow it out? Are we going to, you know, track it up and figure out what kind of uh, network it is? So I did that for a bit. Um, and that is kind of what Haida is down there. And so I eventually did a couple of my own, uh, what they call organized crime drug enforcement task forces where I can go out and recruit people from uh, state and local and other federal agencies to go after big organizations or in my case, two big organizations. And uh, yeah, that was fun, you know, and, um, but it was a while ago now. Uh, I left that agency in 2007 after the war. So, uh, so it was better. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little while. Um, I did run, I did work for ice for a long time. Uh, so I think it was 2009 to 2016 and I ran the Delaware office. So if anybody's familiar with Delaware, I ran their fugitive operations team down there for really? us. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What was, what's been, I'd love to know what, what's been the coolest thing you've ever been a part of. Oh, um, huh. there was a, actually it was a, I was working with a buddy and it was a, uh, it was a local wire. So it wasn't, we weren't going after these big organizations, but it was like a local um, local wire on a uh, cocaine smuggling organization down in San Diego. But we were all working like day and night on this case. And we're like, you know, the, those pictures of people sitting in the back of a hot, sweaty van and shorts and listening in on everything. Uh, we were doing that for a long time, but then taking it down was the best thing. Cause it was just, it just went down and we all had to run and, for like two weeks, we were just taking on every target we possibly could. Um, but the fun, the funniest part about it was, you know, there was a lot of strikes back mm. then in front of uh, grocery stores. The grocery stores in uh, California were striking. So we went to do a takedown and there were all, there were all these protesters in front of the, uh, the grocery store. And the, the guy came to drop off a load of uh, drugs to our undercover guy. And uh, we ended up taking it down and all the protesters, because we said, yell, please freeze. And all these cars are screeching. All the protest signs like flew up in the air, like 20 feet. People are like running everywhere. But it was just, I should be laughing, but it was like the, the funnest time of my life was being young and dumb and being like, what the hell? Now I'm looking back going, what the hell were we thinking? You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? What's the worst thing you ever had to handle? Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I know this one for, you know, this, anybody ever asked me this, I was running a fugitive operations and we ended up going to this house looking for a subject. We, the wife let us in and there was a, like a six-year-old kid, but he was so emaciated. He looked like he was three and there was fucking cockroaches and everything, all the food they were giving them. And I'm like, we ended up calling, um, 
child services, but it was just so fucking just disgusting how people would do that to their own kids. And I, it just, to this day, I'm like, you know, and that's why, you know, a lot of this leads up to why I did what I did. Um, but yeah, that was just absolutely disgusting. And it, it, to know that people are out there, cause I'm like anything with kids, it's just, drives me nuts and it just enrages me so go to the next thing so why you did what you did well you know this is kind of a personal story and um you know i did write a book about this and i'll gladly give you guys all free tell us tell us all about it we'd love to hear it tell me what it is i wrote i wrote a book called unwavering a border agent's journey i'm looking around this junk pile i can't find it but yeah i wrote i wanted my memoir to get out there so when i got back from the war i um you know during this and this is kind of one of those really weird personal stories that kind of affected how I do my things. So when I went, I have two older brothers and my oldest brother was eight years older than me. Other, my other brother is four years older than me. Now, when I was working uh, narco trafficking and stuff in San Diego, my oldest brother was trying to kick a cocaine addiction and having that cocaine addiction actually caused him to have a heart attack. So I moved him out to San Diego, put him up in rehab, uh, was trying to get him straight. Um, but I ended up, uh, getting involuntarily recalled to go to the war and I had nothing, I couldn't help him anymore. So when I left uh, to go away for 18 months, he ended up becoming homeless and um, ended up going to jail. So when I got back from the war, 18 months later, uh, you know, he was in jail and he ended up having a, um, you know, remember I said he had a heart attack before, well, he ended up having a massive heart attack and he ended up dying in jail. Wow. So, uh, but the most, the thing that kind of, you know, changed my outlook on everything is when I went to pick up his stuff, his, his uh, physical property, because they told me, they're like, look, you better come and get this stuff in the next few days, or we don't know where it's going to happen. No. I go there, the warden's out there, he meets me in the lobby, and he was talking to his secretary or something like that, and they were just kind of like brushing me off. He had a plastic bag in his hand, and I go, hey, you know, uh, you know, just so you know, I'm a special agent, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just want to know what kind of happened to my brother and all that. And he goes, oh, we can't talk about it. He hands me in a plastic bag and goes, here, just sign here. As I left, I was like, what the fuck was that? So I'm looking through the plastic bag of, of all of his stuff. And, any, you know, first responders know what commissary is and all the other stuff. He had box of Cheez-Its. They literally dumped it out in there with all of his stuff on his Bible and everything else. And I'm like, you know, what my brother was in jail for was child support. He didn't pay his child support. So he was down three grand. It was, it would have cost me three grand to get him out of child, get him out of jail. But I read the letters that he had in there and the letters were in there. I can't ask Jason anymore for anything he's done. I'm going to do this on my own. He was just about to get work release. He was straight. And after I did my, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I, I looked up that jail and the ward and everything. It turns out a lot of them were all got pinged for corruption and all sorts of other funny shit. So later on, when I blew the whistle, I said, you know what, fuck that. I don't care if you're just because you're in the government or just because you wear a badge or just because it doesn't mean you're always an honorable person. And I said, I have to have a code. And if I don't have that code, then, you know, fuck them. Uh, and that's why people are like, well, how could you do that? You could lose everything. I'm like, you know what, fuck. I want my kids to be able to say, you know what, um, my dad did something. And mm. the reason, because, man, when I blew the whistle, my kids were uh, eight and how much were they? Six and eight at the time. And I'm thinking about those little kids that were getting released to like sex offenders and everything else. Cause I saw the criminal histories on these people were the same age as my kids. And I was like, you know what? Anybody in my situation would do it. Damn. 
I'm so sorry. Don't say that. There's nothing that to is, be sorry about. Well, that, but that's, you know, so that leads me to like my next thing. So, you, you know, I know that you're a, pro, a college <laughs> professor, so aren't I. And, and, you know, one of the topics that we're talking about actually just this week, and I don't believe in coincidences is, you know, we're talking about the recidivism rate. And if it is on the criminal justice system to rehab before, you know, is it on us to rehab or are we, are we just strictly like punishment? I don't know. How and, do you um, rehab though? I mean, and that's the thing is I tried so hard to rehab him, but he ended up rehabbing himself. But when it comes to like, you know, um, what do you call it? Um, um, addiction. Yeah. Uh, that's something it, you need. It's more than law enforcement can you know, you can't, no, no. you know, beat someone to be, they have to take the first step themselves. Oh, and I agree. But the thing is, is, I mean, this guy was in jail because of child support. I mean, and then, you know, I'm not trying to be all liberal. Okay. So all my, my very conservative friends don't be getting mad at me because I'm really, you know, but, but the thing is, is like, I, I do think that we do need to be asking ourselves what, why are people spending long stints in jail? Well, you know, I'll tell you that in a second here, but one thing about him was that what, what really bothered me the most was knowing that he had a stent in his chest or, or wherever they put the stents for a heart and they were letting him do something like that and not monitoring him and everything else. That's kind of what really did it. The other thing too, is when I worked for ICE, I actually um, worked at ICE headquarters before I went to work for the uh, white house. And, um, one thing we learned was one, I shouldn't say one thing we learned because it's not nothing learned. It was just something that we did was that every time we had at the time they call bed space, a bed space at the time was 48,000 beds. We could afford, or we could have 48,000 uh, aliens in a bed at night. Now wow. they've, they've, you could have as many as you want, but I learned how the jails price, you know, it could be anywhere from $17 a night to $300 a night. Wow. Cause it's remember jailing and private uh, jails and everything like that it's a money making business yes um and that's one of the things where i'm like you know what if you take it out but the thing is too is like we're incarcerating so many people it's like where do you house them all right so should we have but i still don't believe in mass releases and mass this and mass that because there's too many shit bags out there but you mm-hmm. know i mean how do you how do you um, triage and figure out who's going to go out and reoffend? Well, I agree, but I mean, not child not paying child support doesn't. I mean, is that it's not a big offense? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's you know, totally civil. I don't know about you, you, but like in yeah, Maine, that's but, civil. Um, to a, a a mom out there who's trying to raise three kids on you know two hundred dollars a week, and you know they're not getting paid child support, and the husband's out there doing whatever. Now, my brother was a different, I mean, the, the guy was homeless and there's no way in hell he could have got the money. He actually did get work release. He was supposed to start like two weeks later. But what's the deal is, I mean, are you going to house these people while they work at night? And then or you really, you're just put them up in a halfway house or something. Right, right, right. If that's the deal. How do you, how do you, like, how do you deal with like the emotions? Like, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of things and I, you've seen a lot of things um, I can say that a lot of people haven't seen and dealt with, and you know, a lot of things that a lot of people don't know, which I want to talk to you about the white house in a minute. But one thing I want to talk to you about, it's like, how do you deal with emotions? Like what, what, you know what I'm saying? Like the emotional survival aspect of law enforcement and the shit that you've seen. Well, it's compartmentalized, you know, um, 
it's like anything, you know, I've went through my times where I was drinking a lot. Uh, I still don't sleep worth a shit, but I don't know if that's, that's something to do with the mass, everything throughout my life. But um, I know one thing, alcohol is not the way because I always sleep like shit whenever I drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really, you know, I focus on five different things. There's a reason I have a podcast. There's a reason I write books. There's a reason I teach college. There's a reason I do this is because I need to have a mission. And if you don't have a mission outside of the, your current job, whether that mission's as small as like, hey, you know what, this week I'm going to accomplish something. And that accomplish something could be, I'm going to walk five miles or I'm going to walk two miles around a block or whatever, but have another mission. And that's why you see a lot of LEO suicide and a lot of emergency responder suicide is because they, for one, you lose the, the, the mission. And, you know, when you get out of the military, whenever you get back from wars, when you get back from this, when you don't have that mission, when you don't have that core crew of people that are with you, that are supporting your, you know, your current hey, job or whatever, and you lose that focus, you lose that mission. Mm. You, that's sometimes when you, you decide to lose your life. Mm. You know, so me, I don't, uh, you know, I've dealt with the demons. I've dealt with the suicidal ideation back in the day. I'm, I clearly talk about anything because I'm not going to shy away from it. Because anything I say, if it helps someone else get through absolutely. it, Absolutely. Um, but have something and it doesn't have to be. And I always tell people it doesn't have to be to build your resume. Mm. There's a different type of resume. And I, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm closer to 50 than 40 now, but my resume now is to build me. You know, yes. I don't, I do all this shit to build me. Yeah. Um, my resume is good enough. And you know what? Anybody knows if you've been around the game for a while, it really doesn't matter what your resume has on it. Nope they're going to hire you because they either know you or someone knows of you. Mm-hmm. Um, entry level is different, but anything past entry levels, you know. Yep. hundred percent. It's always about what you know, who, you mm-hmm. know, not what, you know, always. Yeah. It, uh, unfortunately it just always is. And, and I couldn't agree more. Well, you talked about questions. Oh, suicidal ideations. Yeah. Can we talk about it? Sure. Um, and that's one thing I always try to explain to people. I'm like, if anybody out there has thought about it or like really seriously thought about it, they know what I'm talking about, that it's, um, it's a, it's, um, I'm sorry, Joseph's picture is just driving me nuts. Cause I don't know if that's really him looking at me once in a while. No, but, it's not. <laughs> it's just <I'm> like, <laughs> so, oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> so for anybody out there who's listening, Joseph had this picture. It's like, yeah, okay, bro. Okay. whatever. But here, <laughs> it is. It's got that face for sure. <laughs> so it's a numbness it's uh you know you can have kids you can have this you can have that but you get to the certain point where you just become a blank slate and you're like huh maybe i should just kill myself you know maybe if i'm not here maybe things will be better for yep. them for them you know you're very selfish you think it's for them but it's really for you uh, but i went through that for a while and then, you know, after a while, I was like, you know what, um, it's about me now. And now I got to get my head straight. I got to, you know, I don't care if I'm, you know, 300 pounds or 200 pounds or 180 pounds. Because I'm one of those people who's like stress eats. Me too. So, uh, Big time. Yeah. And uh, so you go through these, these ups and downs, but you have to get through them. And I always tell people, I'm like, sometimes it's like a dark cloud. It's a 24 to 48 hour dark cloud. And I always tell people it's like a black sponge, like a sponge inside your head that makes mm-hmm. it so you can't see clearly. 
And if you could just pull that fucker out of your head, that you would just be fine. Yes. But it's like, and I really should come up with something different than a sponge. It's almost like, like a filter, but it's just cloudy and dusty and it's got all that gook and all the dust and everything goes on here. You can't see through it. And if it could just get clear, you would see that, you know, you can get through this, but it only takes 24 to 48 hours to get through it. Um, and if we could get to that point where we could get people, and especially now, it's not just the military community. There's the suicidal, the suicide rate is, is through the roof. Mm-hmm. And if it's not suicide, it's addiction. You know, I, I, I'm gladly talk about drinking because I was drinking my ass off and, uh, you know, for the past six months now, I think five months now, I've only drank twice. I mean, I can't Good really. Good for you. Yeah, well, what led you down that? <laughs> um, this is actually another one of those weird things about me. I, uh, I was a military advisor slash actor on a, uh, a low budget uh, horror movie called Cloud Motel 2. No shit. And, yeah. So over Listen, the summer. I'm starstruck <laughs> again, you motherfucker. Where, how are you getting on TV? You need to tell us. Oh, that's, I'll tell you that in a minute. That's my secret. Actually, there's no secret to it. It's just very easy. But um, so I knew I was going to be in this movie and I'm like, I knew I was getting really bloated up and I knew the camera was going to add another hundred pounds on me or 10 or whatever. So I stopped drinking. And then uh, I felt good. I was like, holy shit, I'm waking up in the morning. I'm not, you know, hazed. I was like, I'll just keep going. And I'll just keep going. And uh, yeah, I did that for a bit. And then I started seeing the weight weight loss. And I was like, huh, this is kind of working. So now I'm like, I'm going to drink during special occasions now. But I'm not going to drink, you know, just because it's it's Friday. It's not a special occasion. Wednesday. Wednesday is a good night special occasion now uh so i did that's the other thing now let's get the tv so just who has a, who's on linkedin yeah yeah go to linkedin and look up um make yourself a one sheet and your one sheet is going to be like who you are and what your background is and why do they want you to be on the tv because you know what just because you have a great resume and, you know you might look good on instagram doesn't mean that they really want you have to be able to talk yeah so uh and i tell them well, just make up a one pager and put on there what your expertise is and what you could talk to then you find out who they're and when you're in google type in booker, booker. you'll find out all the bookers bookers and producers are the ones that are actually going to bring you on not the hosts or anything they don't really give a shit they're just like okay get someone on here <laughs> the other thing too is scan the news Whenever you see something that you are an expert on or you want to talk about, you immediately ping those bookers and everything else. Um, but what you do ahead of time is when you see the bookers, send them, send them your, find out their contact information through LinkedIn, send them your one, send them your one page, say, Hey, if you ever need me, I'm here, but don't say, Hey, you need to put me on. Just say, Hey, just by the way, I do this. And when you find that topic or anything, ping them. Now, I went directly to one of the hosts once and that's how I actually started doing Fox and all that. That's because I was like, Hey, you want to really know about what's going on with the kids in cages? Put me on. And they did. They, the next day they, they put me on. So, uh, wow. But that's the thing is like, I, I was just like, you know, you, you got to get fed up or you got to be like, you got to really be able to talk about something. That's amazing. So what, like, can I ask you, did you catch any heat from your agency for going on Fox? No. No, um, because this time I was out of, I don't talk about my current agency. I never do. 
and then I um uh that's the thing is I just don't talk about my current agency they said you can talk about homeland security all day long you can do whatever you want uh just don't talk about us and I'm like fine and I don't and believe me I don't work for any super secret squirrely crap I just kind of do my thing and uh yeah and I talk and now ICE loves me you know (laughs) it's crazy because different administrations um and I actually had a uh you know I was I write a lot of op-eds too for like town hall and Washington Examiner I haven't done that in a while because uh you know, I'm staying out of the politics, but, mm-hmm. and that's the thing though, is like, ICE is like, yeah, what do you, what do you want to know? And I'm like, oh, can you get me a quote on this? And they're like, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, just really, and I, I tell everybody too, is if you want to do TV and stuff like that, write op-eds, write opinion pieces. If you don't want to do TV and you want to just build your resume, write op-eds and write opinion pieces. How do you, I mean, can you explain that to us? Cause I don't know. Sure. So let's say, um, um, when you're done here, just Google Jason Piccolo uh, Town Hall. Because these are, one thing I liked about writing for Town Hall is they're very conservative, but they let me, they don't edit my shit. They let me know putting up fancy titles to make it shock. And I've written about trafficking on there. I've written about um, global war on terrorism stuff. Um, but when you write an op-ed, you find out a current topic or something you're passionate about. And then you just, you know, you use logical sources and you just write about five or 600 words on that topic of choice and why why is it relevant why should people care because nobody wants to nobody wants to read or nobody wants to listen to anything if if they don't really care about it right 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 and so that that'll get you exposure that gives you exposure and but then i also says hey you know i because i used to that got me on um a few different shows just by saying hey look i wrote this piece this week you guys want to have me on and talk about it I'm like oh yeah sure because remember when when these news organizations and everything have to fill two hours every bit so you figure two hours is probably roughly uh, hour and 20 worth of content every one of these segments is seven minutes you know six to seven minutes so they have to fill a lot of time every day so they're always yeah. looking for anything and wow. then they take, and when, when you do the mainstream, you find out that they take a lot of your stuff and then they make that into their own news stories and new op-eds and all that stuff. So you're, they're getting like five or different, five or six different things out of you. Wow. And so now is this what you do consulting on? Tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, that's my thing is I just kind of, well, I mostly help out. Um, one of the things that it's not really consulting, it's more because I don't make money on anything. I the only income I have stream well, that's the other thing you have to realize. Like I don't have sponsors. I don't I don't wanna I can't sell my show or anything. I'm like I uh the protectors is awesome. I get a lot of I get so many views on Amazon and everything else. I love doing it because I get to talk to people, it's kind of my thing, like talking to really cool guests. But the other thing is uh I you know, I just love doing this shit. But the only income streams I have are from my day job and I teach college too, mm-hmm. online school, which is great. But uh, you're not going to get rich doing this and you're not going to get rich. You know that as well as I do when it comes to like the podcasting and everything else. Mm-hmm. You have to have a passion. You have to build your resume. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing the past few years of building my personal resume, building my brand mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And just doing stuff I enjoy. But yeah, that's uh, I don't think I kind of, the consulting is more of like, hey, you know what? This is how you do it. It's free of charge. You're so funny. So I um I do a lot of, and I tell anybody this. I'm like, if you have some sort of experience, 
um, especially in the emergency responder and law enforcement fields. If you have any experience over two or three or five, 10 years or whatever, volunteer with these veteran organizations. I've been volunteering with uh, Higher Heroes USA and they are, ju they just, they need people who mm. know about these because veterans are getting out and they don't know how to get into these jobs um, and they need mentors. So mm. mentor, mentor, mentor. Oh, that's great. I love that. And so where can people go for that? Like Higher Heroes, Higher Heroes USA. Awesome. That's for my Jersey accent. That's H as in hello <laughs> or hotel. So uh, yeah. And my next thing is I, I do some stuff with nonprofits right now. I'm going to be working with an organization called Hunter 7 Foundation. Because uh, thanks to the good old fashioned Iraq deployment, I had a, what they call toxic exposure. Oh. So I had a lot of crap going in my lungs from these burn pits. So I'm working with them to try to figure out what's going on with, with that. And you know me, I have a, a big voice. Um, whether or not it gets heard or not is up to me. And that's one thing I really want to shine a light on next is these type of things that are affecting the, the veteran community. It's kind of like the modern day Agent Orange. Really? So that's Hunter 7 Foundation. So anybody out there listening or watching or anything else like that, please check them out. Absolutely. So tell me, tell me as we're winding down, I just have more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I would I just really want to hear about, I'd love to hear about like what your time was like in Iraq or and did you go to Afghanistan? No, Iraq. Just Iraq. Okay. So um, can you I'll what, give you my my short and skinny of my deployment. So I went to I got recalled. I got sent to Fort Benning, Georgia for a few months. They were trying to figure out what to do with all these people they recalled. Got sent down to Mississippi uh, for training in the summer of 2005. Can anybody out there re recall what happened in the summer of 2005 in Louisiana and Mississippi? Starts with a K. Ends with yeah, a I got Joseph Katrina. Yeah, Katrina. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually in Katrina. Uh, after that, I went to uh, Kuwait for a couple months with the National Guard unit they attached me to. And then I got four deployed to what they call the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force, wow. which is, um, and I became what they call an anti-terrorism officer. It's basically mm -hmm. staff. So I did the staff stuff for them, uh, for all special forces in Iraq. Um, yeah, I did that for until um, my total deployment was 18 months. And then during that, when I was in Balad, Iraq, they have these pits. They're called burn pits. And what they are is they're about the size of two or three football fields. Mm -hmm. And they take everything and anything that burns and throws it in there, medical waste. Uh, Humvee gets blown up, throw whatever's left in there. Uh, we had wow. one of the biggest hospitals in country there. So anything, anything you can throw it in there, take some jet fuel or some diesel fuel, throw it on top of it, and then light it on fire. Wow. These burn pits go 24-7, 365 days a year. And what they do is you see smoke go up, but what you don't see is a particulate matter. That's these very microcosm type matter of all that shit that's burning in there spreads throughout the base all day, every day. And you can't wear a gas mask all day. So that goes into your lungs, through your mouth or nose or nasal passageways, past your natural barriers and gets embedded inside your body. And that when they get embedded in there, that particulate matter becomes cancerous to a lot of us. So I think we've lost over 100,000 veterans to these particular matters, uh, whether that's in Afghanistan, whether or not that's in Iraq, anywhere where people afford deployed, including uh, Africa, anywhere, because they're always burning shit and including burning shit. All the waste goes in there as well. Ugh. 
Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to figure out if one of these dimples is maybe just a big pile of shit burned. <laughs> I know, I know. Jeez. Oh, okay, uh, I'm actually in Houston, so we open our doors at Katrina Evacuees. Cool. And and Washer Six wants to know: Would you do anything different in your life? Looking back, would you do anything different? No, I mean the the thing is, I I have two awesome kids. I don't really give a shit about anything else. And if I went back and changed anything, it might affect that. So I wouldn't. So you live in life. I love it. So Jason, where can people come and hang out with you? Um, I'm outside of Washington, D.C. Once they open up uh, restaurants and stuff. Uh, they can always find me at jasonpiccolo.us or they could just Google my name. You're going to find me. I'm not being pompous or anything, but it's just, it's either going to come up Jason Piccolo, whistleblower, Jason Piccolo's an asshole. I went to high school with him or um, just anything. Jason, what was Go ahead. Oh, and I am always, if anybody has any questions, I don't care if you're listening, watching or whatever, I'm, my contacts on the website, uh, really follow my YouTube page because I'm trying to build that thing up. And that's uh, YouTube backslash the protector life. Protector life on YouTube. Got it. And then uh, if you are one of the lucky 1000 subscribers that I'm eventually going to have by after they listen to this, I will gladly give you a shout out. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't have shit. There. Like I said before, I don't make any money. So whatever I got, <laughs> it's uh We can shout. We, nobody wants a shout out. We just want to follow <laughs> you. We like what you're doing. That's cool. Instagram's cool too. I, I, I post the most on Instagram. You do me too. I hang out on Instagram. Like, yeah, you always got something. You always got something going on on Instagram. I feel like. I love it. That's my thing. So it's called the protector's life. The protector life. The protector life. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it right now. The Protector Life on YouTube. You, you better be um, 591 subscribed. Actually, I think somebody just beat me because I'm like 600 uh, or 601. Look at right that. Woo. Yeah, Another Jay- 400, I get monetized and I'll, I'll probably get, uh, what do you call it? Like a free coffee at Dunkin' Donuts or something. Hell yeah. <laughs> We're into that. Seriously, We're if anybody ever wants to get a hold of me, ever has any questions or anything wants to talk about anything, um, I, I hate saying that, but if I don't know, I'll find out. But I will find out. I'm like, knowledge is, uh, I love giving it away. I love it. Jason, It's it, you are just a book of knowledge. We're going to have you back on the show sometime. Thank you so much for being here with us. Do you have anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes. Um, as you look behind me, there's Veteran Wood Company. There's Combat Flags. Support your businesses in the, in the communities. If they, if they've, and that's the thing, I, the reason I started the protectors, because it's the, those that run towards danger and those that support them. So please find a small business run by one of these and, you know, purchase something. Mm, I love it. Especially right now, Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks everybody. It was nice seeing everybody. And Cheap Nation. Joseph, I like that. I like it better seeing your, your beautiful face there. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't feel judged anymore. <laughs> she talked <laughs> nation. We'll see you next time. They buried me in the water and I came I knew. <laughs> now I'm baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. I'm a winner, never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got grit. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter, never win or never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got grace. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. Uh. They bear me in the water in the Holy Ghost. I came out with a bad.
magic gun and the heart that said never run I signed up for a job you wouldn't dare to do This ain't no green screen movie, don't compare the two We look at your actions in the elements And everything relevant If they line up, prepare to pay the consequence You do dirt, you get cussed, no bluff It's ignorant to think we will shoot with your hands up If you the police you feel the world is against you like Every call you go to, people trying to tempt you Well, hail Mary, hail Mary, hail Mary I ride on the devil, I ain't scary And I ain't worried You want my life, come take it, it's gonna be a fight I take you to the light Like Will and Bright I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do Only the thin blue line Cause they baptized in blue uh. I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue I'm a fighter Sometimes I can't help but cry Like why did he die? I know it was him But it could've been I What about the kids? Uh, what about the spouse? Yeah, now who gon' put food inside them babies' mouth? It's a bigger picture when I officer down Domino effect, blue nation, family, country, and town The media don't cover us huh. Well maybe Fox, cause MSNBC and CNN Surely don't care about cops, politicians More concerned about protecting the legal that are laying the law down And protecting the people, let me get off my soapbox Before I curse, I don't see way too many cops Riding in hearse, well I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do Only the thin blue light, cause they baptized <laughs> In blue, uh. I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit, I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue I'm a fighter I'm gonna complete it if that means being deleted I live with the credence I do this for the combat vets and LEOs When I'm suited, ready to go It's either friend or foe Only Lord knows what my future's in store I only kill with the hope to see more So God don't close that door If I take a life, it's him or me with the host to survive, not big a tree I go in situations that you cannot imagine Deal with things that you cannot fathom No it buts or rather I'd rather fight for cause than live for nothing So when you read my headstone, you know I died for something You hypersensitive, she can play by justified force You blame the cops first, that don't work, you blame the courts But I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do Only the thin blue line, cause they baptized in blue oh, I'm a fighter when I never quit, I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior Just been baptized in blue, I'm a fighter